All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Daily Faceoff Podcast comes courtesy of the Nation Network. Here's your host, Brock Segan, with Dylan D. Berthium and Michael Biebs Bondi. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to season, I don't know, post-COVID, uh, episode two of the Daily Faceoff Podcast. I'm Brock Segan. We got Dylan D. Berthium with us. D, how's it going, buddy? Project Restart. Uh, feeling good. Happy to be here talking about hockey. Yeah, for sure. Um, just to let the v- listeners know, uh, Dylan's family is kind of sitting uh, in a little bit of a quarantine situation right now, waiting on a negative test. So we weren't able to get together uh, out of an abundance of caution, which is what everybody says right now. Uh, so we're doing this on Zoom. So be patient with us. It's the first time we've ever done this uh, through Zoom. We don't know how great it's going to turn out. Hopefully we have no technical issues, but just be patient with us if the audio isn't uh, 100% uh, what it normally is, which is about 80% of a normal podcast anyway. So, um, tough math. Yeah. <laughs> so D, uh, you weren't here obviously for the first episode, me and Biebs did a little COVID catch up. Uh, just basically what you've been up to in the last four months. Well, most of us have been doing nothing. Um, so I, they've already heard from me. I've been building shit out of nowhere, uh, and betting on NASCAR. What have you been up to? Well, I've been fortunate enough to continue working away from home, which has been uh, a blessing in itself. Um, One, I'm not spending any money right now. So just revenue is just pretty much profit at this point. So that's, uh, (laughs) that's been a nice, I I guess you could say benefit of it all. But 
um it's been nice just to keep busy too and not have you know not be too stir crazy or not have uh, too much to worry about especially in the early days of it um so i was definitely lucky in that regard it's been a pretty seamless transition to working from home uh but aside from that obviously life's been pretty boring uh relative um but it's it's weird or it's funny i guess how, how used to how quickly people can get used to the new normal and uh you know pre-covid life just seems so far away at this point but uh, as far as passing the time uh, without hockey or any other sports, uh, luckily soccer has resumed for the last few months, and I'm sure Beads talked about it too. But me and him have just been absolutely knee deep into the beautiful game since it uh, restarted. So uh, been all about the Premier League. Watched a lot of Bundesliga when that first came back, and then yeah, basically just been all Premier League since. Fired up for the Europa and Champions League coming up the next few weeks, and all of a sudden there's hockey to talk about too. So uh, we're getting through it, that's for sure. Yeah, it's been uh, it's just been so long. It seems like I I saw a thing today. It was like uh, basically like a quiz of all. I think the athletic might have done it. But like a quiz of like all the things that have happened uh, in the NHL season this year, um, and like how much you remember like of what happened. And then somebody's yeah. like, I, I I refuse to believe that Mike Babcock was fired this year. Like it seems <laughs> right. so long ago. Like it doesn't even seem like the same season at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. But the NHL playoffs, it's going to be exciting. It's such a new format. Like, it's different. It's weird. Um, and it's just going to be so much fun, I think. Like, hockey every single day, especially this first round. Like, we got 10 days in a row of, like, five games per day. It's just going to yeah. be, you know, and it's, like, literally noon till midnight, like, every single day, if you're on the yeah. East Coast, at least. It's going to be yeah, wild. I can't wait. That's the crazy – with all the sports coming back, right, it's just zero to 100 real quick because – I mean, it doesn't matter if uh, it's like the NHL, the NBA, where they're finishing uh, or kind of curtailing seasons, or if it's like the MLB trying to start from scratch, everything, all the schedules are just so jam-packed trying to make up for any lost time that we can. So as as, as a fan, it's it's going to be a lot of system overload or input overload at, at that point. It's just so much to watch when we've been, you know, dying. Like, I couldn't tell you that months ago how hard I would have been, you know, just dying to watch the Islanders and Panthers play. And I'm, you know, that's yeah. obviously you're going to have to prioritize things when you know, there's a full schedule going on, but yeah, it'll, it's uh, it's exciting for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's basically how I got back into NASCAR. It was like the only <laughs> thing on. And I was like, I'm all in, bro. Like, exactly. That's yeah. all I got. Yeah. That's... That was me with soccer too. And the same thing, there's just games nonstop. And you know, the great thing about soccer living in the Western hemisphere is that games are just on during the day all the time, which is going to be, you know, the new norm for these leagues as they try to catch up even in North America. So uh, it's been great. And uh, in that regard, but like I said, you know, hockey's obviously uh, our one true love here at daily face off and the DFO podcast. So more than a little excited to get back to talking about hockey. Yeah. It's going to be just so much fun. So um, earlier in the day, um, Biebs and I previewed the Western conference. So you and I will focus on the Eastern conference. Uh, if for whatever reason you guys missed the Western Conference preview, what we're going to do is go series-by-series uh, uh, series basis here with the qualifying rounds, just kind of break down the matchup, uh, who we think the favorite is, uh, where teams might have an edge, uh, and then give our prediction for each series. Uh, and then we'll finish the episode talking a little bit about the round-robin teams. Obviously, they're all locked into a playoff spot, but just kind of about which team we think really has a good chance of going all the way or the best chance because they all have pretty good chances. Yeah. Um, and then we're also going to talk if you have uh, fantasy drafts, maybe tonight or tomorrow or Saturday, you know, afternoon, even uh, obviously each team's got their, their big guns. It's obvious that, you know, if you're picking Edmonton guys, you're going to want to get Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisel, but we're going to talk a little bit more about the secondary scores, guys that could uh, chip in and, you know, those picks could really end up winning you a, a lot of money, hopefully. So uh, let's get right into it. Let's start with arguably 
at least according to uh, Vegas, arguably the most uh, lopsided series. And that's the number five seed Pittsburgh Penguins against the number 12 seed Montreal Canadiens. Uh, it seems so crazy to have a team like basically, I mean, they're in the playoffs kind of, right? Like, And they're yeah. 31, 31 and nine. Like they're a 500 hockey team just sitting in the playoffs. It seems so bizarre. Uh, and then on the other hand, you got the Penguins at 40, 23 and six, the seventh best record in the NHL this year. Uh, on paper, this doesn't look like a very close matchup. It, have you been able to find anything that gives Montreal maybe a little bit of an edge? I mean, the, the one thing that you can obviously point to uh, if you're a Habs fan looking for any sort of optimism is the goaltending. Uh, the Penguins have obviously been a little bit uh, inconsistent this season, especially when compared to years past, although um, Murray did kind of seem to be getting things back on track for the before the uh, the pause in the season. And he's the type of player that you would maybe expect to benefit uh, from a prolonged break, given his injury uh, history. Um, but that's the thing, right? It comes down to carry price. And in such a short series, um, you know, these games just become, all right. The outcomes obviously become more and more unpredictable with, um, less games to, to determine the, uh, the outcome of the series. So, um, we see goalies steal games all the time and, you know, price might not be at the, the top elite peak of his game that he once was, but he's still one of the best goaltenders in the NHL and on his day, uh, probably one of, if not the hardest goalie to beat uh, when he's at the top of his game. So, uh, and again, another guy that's quite used to playing 65, 70 games in the regular season before they even get to playoff hockey. So uh, some that you would figure would also benefit from the rest. I know we could go ahead and, and say that about everyone, but I, you know, an aging goaltender, if uh, you look at the Canadians with an aging goaltender being so pivotal to their success, I, I obviously don't think that the coming off a break is necessarily a bad thing. Um, and, you know, it also maybe helps that the Penguins uh, might not be on the, the tip top of their game in terms of uh, creating scoring chances and uh, breaking in and out of the zone. And obviously a low event game favors a team like the Habs in this sort of matchup. Um, so if it does end up skewing that way and maybe the Penguins are, you know, a game or two that you don't really have uh, a game or two to find your momentum that you normally do at the start of the season. So it's going to have to be, um, you're gonna have to start right away and start on time as uh, one former Maple Leafs head coach always used to love to say. So, uh, that, that's really what it's going to come down to. So yes, on paper, it's a very lopsided matchup, um, but this is going to be a quick series uh, and you're going to have to start on time, especially against a goaltender like Price. Um, he didn't look great against the Leafs in the one tune-up game, but he certainly didn't look uh, off his game by any means. There wasn't a lot he could do uh, on any of the goals that went past him. So uh, he's going to need to steal games, which, you know, admittedly he doesn't do as often as he used to, but uh, he's the one uh you know, chance that the Habs are the one thing that Habs fans can really hold on to heading into that series. And then obviously the top line and Philip Deneau as well is going to play a key part. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting, um, the 5v5 battle too, because when you look at it, the Habs were one of the best uh, teams at at least controlling the puck this year. Mm -hmm. uh, their Corsi number was second best in the NHL. Um, they were fourth in expected goals for throughout the entire season at 5v5. Uh, but they ranked just 17th in 5v5 goals because, uh, you know, they just kind of lack the really high-end talent. Like, their shooting percentage was seventh lowest in the league, but that's not really surprising when you look at a team, you know, that doesn't have a Sidney Crosby or an Evgeny Malkin. Yeah, and even um, the goal scorers they do have, like Brendan Gallagher, uh, tend to be more volume shooters than uh, high-quality shooters. So, yeah, like you said, it's not terribly surprising. 
guys and to sit them at, at that end of the shooting percentage table. And I think they should usually, at least with this group, realistically, that's where they should expect to be. Um, so it does come down to more just controlling the pace of play and really slowing it down, trying to make the game as short as possible. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's what it's going to, it's going to come down to. They obviously have to know that their one leg up in this series is in goal, however slight it may be. And they're going to have to play to that. Yeah. And then even like they, they only gave up the fifth fewest chances against uh, this year. And mm-hmm. uh, when you've got Carey Price in that, if you can limit those scoring chances, even against a team as good as Pittsburgh, that's going to go a long way. It's, it's, it's weird too, from a Penguins perspective, because when you look at it, their underlying numbers weren't that terrific this year, but man, like, they never really had the full team together. I mean, like Gensel missed, uh, you know, the entire second half of the season. Um, yeah. Crosby it looked like, you know, sorry not to cut you off, but a, a Gensel that looked like he was abs- finally, re- or not finally, but, uh, you know, elevating his game to another level and maybe uh, putting himself right on the same, uh, I guess, level with Crosby and Malkin this season in terms of his impact on, on their performance. Yeah. Oh, he was completely outstanding like the whole year. And then, you know, when he was healthy, you know, Malkin and Crosby were down, like, uh, Horn Christmas time, obviously. Latang missed some time, and then now this is really the first time too that we get to see. Uh, you know, they they went in, went out and got Zucker to basically like replace Gensel, and then you get four months off, and now you have both of them. Uh, right. You know, they've got Connor Shiri on that top line now too. Like they they've added some weapons, and then like they get this layoff, and then they get Gensel back. So it's really the first time, like the layoff. You know, while it might may have helped. Um, you know, Carey Price and all that stuff too. It helps the Penguins so much as well. Like they're at, you know, 100% pretty much coming into this uh, series aside from maybe a little bit of bumps and bruises on Sidney Crosby uh, from whatever happened to him in training camp. But it seems like, you know, the 5v5 battle is going to be interesting, but I just have a hard time believing that uh, unless, you know, Carey Price just goes apeshit how uh, the Canadians can get by the, the Penguins here. And, and it shows when you look at the, the odds, uh, courtesy of our friends and, Sponsor, uh, oddshark.com. Um, right now, 40 to 1 to win the Eastern Conference for the Penguins, or for the Canadians, 7 to 1 uh, for the Penguins. So, the Penguins of all the teams in both West and Eastern Conference, they have the best odds of any team in the qualifying round to uh, win their conference. I think a little bit probably of that has to do with the matchup. Um, you talked about Carey Price quite a bit. Before we move on and give our predictions for this series, uh, it's very interesting on the other side because it's like they've got Murray and they've got Yari and no one really knows who's going to play. Uh, mm-hmm. When they were asked yesterday, Yari said, we have no idea. Like they haven't told us who's the game one starter. Believe that if you want to. Uh, but like, it's, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, Yari was a lot better this year. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see who gets the nod for the Penguins. If you had to pick one, uh, who would you take? It's, it's an interesting question. I, I mean, the Penguins have shown in the past, especially when it comes to the postseason, that they're willing to just play the hot hand. Obviously, with this prolonged break heading into the playoffs, there's no real hot hand to play. So I, I do think it's going to come down to uh, who who they're really feeling better about in practice and training camp or whatever you want to call the camp that was um, and, and in the one exhibition game. Did they both play in the exhibition Yeah, they game? split you know time. They split? I, I believe Yari started it, Murray went in second, which I don't know right. if that means anything. Um I, like to me, like Yari, if you base it off the regular season, it's Yari. Uh, if you know you're looking at playoff experience, it's Murray. It, it, I don't think they can really go wrong. It's just like, but no goalie in the entire playoffs has a shorter leash than whichever one of them gets the game yeah. on start. Yeah, and it's it's honestly, like I said, it's a short series. There's there's not a whole lot of room for error. 
Um, but it is nice in that regard that hopefully if you're a Pittsburgh fan or, or if you're the Pittsburgh Penguins that you can get by Montreal without suffering too much of a scare and maybe give both goalies a look in the process and get a feel uh, for how it's going to play out the rest of the postseason. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes with Murray. Like you said, Yari's definitely been the better goalie this year. Um, but, you know, I think if we look at the history, I believe they started with Flurry and ended up falling back to Murray, right? Which is what happened, mm. even though going into those postseasons, Murray was obviously the hotter goalie going into it. So I wouldn't be surprised if he just errs on the side of caution. It'd be a lot easier to defend the decision to start Murray in game one than it would be to start uh, Yari. So if you're just looking at that from a human perspective, you'd think he might lean towards Murray. Um, but yeah, there's obviously a, not a lot to read into right now. So we'll just have to wait and see. But I, I wouldn't be surprised even if they, they 3-0 the Canadians if both goalies don't get a look in this uh, shortened series. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'll go ahead and go first here. I've got Penguins in three. Uh, I think like the Penguins, while they weren't great at generating scoring chances this year, maybe it's because they were hurt. They were extremely stingy all year long. Um, they were very, very solid defensively. And when you're a team that just kind of lacks the the real game breakers as Montreal does, uh, and you're playing against a stingy penguins team it's going to be just so hard for them to score goals regardless of who's in net Mm -hmm. um and at the other end i mean yeah carrie price is great but they have Sidney crosby evgeny malkin and jake Gensel. like i just don't see how montreal gets this one done yeah i got i mean like you said it's a short series you you never know how hockey could play it in such a short amount of time you look at the regular season they went one one and one against each other uh habs won the first one four one second one was an ot Sorry, one 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 for Montreal, so two zero oh, and one for uh, for Pittsburgh. Second one was an OT loss for Pittsburgh, or OT win for Pittsburgh. My apologies. And then uh, Pittsburgh won the last game four one in February. So um, it's it's obviously like I said on paper, it looks really good for Pittsburgh. Uh, there's a couple little areas to be worried about, but as far as there, there are better matchups that Montreal could have gotten in this 12 seed. I, I think there are much better. Uh, threat or much more of a threat at upsetting a team like Boston, who's a little bit more top heavy, I, where they can just kind of stick the Dino line against the other top line. Uh, and then maybe even Montreal has the depth to battle with the second, third and fourth lines. Obviously I don't think that's the case up against Pittsburgh. Uh, Crosby's definitely going to have his hands full against the Dino line, but that still leaves a lot of firepower throughout the rest of the lineup, especially with Gensel coming back now um, and just kind of the reciprocating effect that has on the rest of the lineup. So I'm with you. I, I think Pittsburgh wins easily. I'm going to go four. Uh, just because I think that we could see, you know, just some irregularities as we, as players try to get back up to full speed right away. Um, I think the break's going to play a little bit. Maybe we see some rust from the Penguins in the first game or two in the Habs. Yeah, Brian uh, Rust, affair. Yeah, and the other thing is <laughs> generally penalties go down, power play opportunities go down in the postseason, and that's another area where you can definitely argue that Pittsburgh has the edge. So slightly less penalties, I think, brings it a little bit closer for Montreal. But I would agree with you that it's still, uh, to me, obviously the most lopsided matchup we have in the first qualifying round. Yeah, just a lot, of, lot for them to overcome. Mm-hmm. Right, I've done my on. best to to frame it as evenly as possible, but yeah, it's it's a pretty clear advantage for the Penguins. Yeah, uh, let's move on to a much much closer series. I I would argue maybe the most interesting, um, maybe the toughest one to call uh, from an outsider perspective. And Vegas seems to agree with me. Um, the number six Carolina Hurricanes and the number eleven New York Rangers, who are pretty surprising this year, really all things considered. Uh, both of them given. 22 to one odds to win the Eastern conference. So uh, they kind of, neither team has a, has great odds because 
just getting out of this first series is going to be tough for both teams. I think right. uh, Carolina is a team that we've, you know, obviously loved uh, kind of riding the analytics wave here over the last few years. And they're, you know, one of the analytical uh, darlings in the NHL and it's hard to root against them, but the Rangers are one of the most exciting teams in hockey this year. And I think that this is, you know, probably my favorite series. So I'm going to defer to you and let you start. Who do you like going into this one? Like you said, I mean, just from, kind of I don't want to say our background but the the way me and you and like daily face off in general likes to look at the game it's hard not to like Carolina um especially uh against the team like the Rangers who are maybe I, it's a really interesting uh matchup and one that probably would have uh, been a lot more polarizing a few years ago before analytics have kind of really uh established themselves in the mainstream NHL media um because you know the Rangers are kind of that uh high event up and down team um who I've been pretty streaky this season. Have relied on some great goaltendings to string together some wins. They relied on some incredibly high shooting percentages, some outstanding individual performances, and all in all, just play a really attractive style of hockey. And I think you could probably say the same for Carolina, although it's probably uh, a bit in a different realm. They're more about uh, possession and the buildup and uh, not just creating chances, but how to retrieve the puck and regenerate chances and create that sustained uh, pressure of offense so both entertaining styles of hockey in their own way um, I just think you know with the way we look at this on paper it's hard not to like uh, the Hurricanes in this matchup uh, but I do think it's gonna be a lot of fun to watch yeah I mean I would have absolutely loved Carolina regardless uh, if especially with Dougie Hamilton coming back apparently he suffered a new injury uh, which is so unfortunate and he is probably not going to play in the qualifying round so that obviously clouds it a little bit but they get a guy like Sammy Vanden who steps in who's no slouch in his own right um, right and I, really at least they, yeah I mean it's not as if they were uh, when they were constructing this team for a playoff run at the, the deadline or making the final two weeks of the roster, obviously they were doing it without Dougie Hamilton really being in the picture. Right. So yeah. uh, while it's a disappointing injury, it's not, I, I guess it's one that you could say that uh, they, were they couldn't be more for. prepared. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's interesting too. Cause like most teams, you know, minus your top two defense or two of your top three defensemen, because Brett Pessy's out as well. It's like, mm-hmm. that'd be crippling. And somehow this team is built to kind of overcome this. Right. Um, it's very interesting. The Rangers actually swept the Hurricanes 4-0 in the regular season series. But listen to these statistics. In those four games, Carolina had a 61.9 Corsi 4. Uh, mm-hmm. The shots were 161 to 104. The scoring chances were 114 to 75. Like, they just dominated. Right. But uh, Ranger goaltenders, I think Lundqvist started three of the games, and Shesterkin started the fourth game. Uh, save percentages, 947 for the Rangers and 860 for Carolina. Um, the Hurricanes, who also have a, a pretty good power play this year, they were just two for 16 in the season series, uh, but were eighth overall uh, on the power play this year. Uh, so if you look at those four games, uh, I think that paints a pretty clear picture of kind of what to expect in the series. I think that the, the Hurricanes are going to be fucking all over New York for the most part. And it's really going to come down to the goaltending matchup. Right. And uh, it's going to be interesting. All signs seem to be pointing towards Igor Shesterkin starting game one. Uh, which is crazy to think that, you know, you can just leapfrog Henrik Lundqvist, like literally a walking legend. But, right. uh, he, you know, he struggled the last few years. And Shesterkin was like, just absolutely liked out. I think he matched um, Lundqvist's win total this year and played like 23 less games or something crazy. Right. So it's going to be interesting there. I think obviously like Peter Mrazek is fine. James Armour is fine. But the Rangers have a clear advantage in goal. And like that could, that could 
you know, be a huge factor in a five game series. Like you, you just have to steal one or two games and then get lucky again and one more and it's over. You know what I mean? Like, but on paper, this should, this should not be that close of a series, but the goaltending I think has me a little bit worried from a Carolina perspective. So I have Carolina in five. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, the goaltending, I don't think you can overstate how big of, I mean, goaltending, we talk about all the time. It's the hardest thing to predict in hockey. Uh, and when you're talking about a shorter sample size, we're going from seven game series to five game. Now it's just going to become all the more meaningful. And it, you're probably, anytime you see an upset in these qualification rounds, you're guaranteed that your goaltending is going to be the main uh, driving force behind it. But it's just, it's so easy to draw parallels between this qualifying matchup for the Hurricanes and their round one matchup at the Capitals last season. Obviously, the Capitals are a much more established team than the Rangers are at this point. Uh, but Carolina went into that series last year, having lost all four regular season matchups against Washington, having dominated the puck in all four games and still coming out on the losing side uh, and goaltending being very much a factor. So, uh, you know, last year we were looking at that and thought, you know, wow, like Carolina always seems to look really good against the Capitals, but it just hasn't mattered. So we kind of stuck with that mantra and that's what we'd expect to saw. And it was how the series started out, but it's obviously not how it finished with Carolina uh, besting them in game seven. So uh, to me, it just really reminds me of that, uh, that series. It's just hard to ignore it. Like you said, the same thing, they lost all four games to the Rangers despite dominating play. So I do think it's going to be quite a close series. And I, I do think um, when you look at the possession numbers, it, it's not going to be close in that regard or the shooting numbers, but you know, it's a need that, again, it was, uh, we talked about a lot at the time, but at the deadline, it was a real shock to not see Carolina try to do something to address their goaltending. They're willing to spend all these assets and picks and players on improving other areas of the team and which were already pretty strong to begin with, but kind of topping that off with leaving a major, major question mark and goal. Uh, and to me, it was the biggest oversight of any team at the trade deadline. I, I don't think it really matters how much you strengthen your blue line when you got a 900 goaltender in net. It's going to be very, very hard to make it through four rounds of playoffs against uh, the best teams in the league. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's one of the hardest to call because you know that Carolina is going to dominate the pace of play. But like you said, the goaltending matchup uh, just seems like it could really swing it. So I also have Carolina in five for that reason. I think it's going to be a really uh, close series. And obviously Vegas does as well. I think the odds are dead, dead even right now, right? Yeah. It's, uh, it's just crazy too when you think about, like you bring up how they did go and address that need at the trade deadline. And then you look at a team like Vegas, who's got Mark andre Fleury already, and they go out and get Robin later and didn't really pay that steep of a price. Right, right. Um, and you look at the price they paid for Shea and, uh, and even for Vatanen, who's on, on the UFA, but it was a first-round pick for Shea. So you're willing to move these assets, but not to address the biggest need on your team. It, it didn't make a lot of sense at the time. And, uh, you know, looking at the matchups now, it's even more mind-boggling. They would be one of my favorite teams. Like, I mean, they already are one if of my If they had Robin Lehner in goal. But if they had Robin Lehner, my God. Yeah. Like, I'd be betting them to win the cup. No problem. Right? Like, no questions asked. Uh, I just want to does a lot more for your chances than picking up Brady Shea, I would say. And we like Shea. But yes. just, he doesn't. he's not going to swing a series for you when you already have uh, as many good out players as they do. So Yeah, he doesn't move the needle quite as much as Robin Lehner over Peter Mrazek does. Exactly. Um, I just want to touch really quick on the power play or the special teams as well. Uh, this year, the Carolina... Uh, power play ranked uh, eighth overall, uh, but they led the league in expected goals for and generated the most high danger ch uh, chances on the power play. So their uh, their actual power play percentage wasn't uh, you know completely accurate representation of how high quality this power play is. And then on the other hand, the Rangers penalty kill had the worst expected goals for against and gave the second most high uh, danger chances against on the penalty kill. So like from a power play perspective, you know if you don't dominate five on five. 
Uh, this power of play should absolutely feast on a really bad Rangers penalty kill. Um, so like it's just all signs are pointing towards it, but it's just, you know, a great goaltending can be, you know, the ultimate elixir in the playoffs. Especially in a five game series. For sure. Um, okay. So we're going to go to break here in a minute. Uh, just fire it over to the blue stones. Let the, uh, th- let the blue stones kind of get their moment as well. Cause it's been They've a while. Been itching to get back on the pod. But uh, we kind of forgot about the first series. Um, Pittsburgh and Montreal, who was kind of a guy that you would be targeting outside of, you know, the Malkin, the Crosby, the Gensels uh, for Pittsburgh. And if there's anybody you would be looking at drafting uh, from the Montreal side. Pittsburgh, I think is tricky because we, you know, it's, there's so many, a lot of their secondary players can move up and down the lineup at a moment's notice. Um, But the one thing you can kind of bet on is them kind of grouping Crosby and Malkin in pairs and kind of rotating that third winger. Um, So Crosby and Gensel that we pretty much know or we can assume are going to be together. They've spent, you know, when healthy, uh, pretty much every minute at 5v5 together over the last couple of seasons. So uh, should definitely expect Crosby and Gensel there. That third spot uh, right now we expect to be Connor Sheary, right? Um, But obviously that's the one spot where you could really see by game two or even by the time the first game rolls around you could see someone else in that spot. Um, so I, I, I don't love targeting. I like Shiri that's on the top line right now, especially if you're looking at uh, no redrafting at all throughout the, the whole playoffs, if that's the kind of pool that you're into. So I, my eye would be drawn more towards Brian Russ because we've seen Malkin and Russ stick together uh, for the majority of the season. So I think that's going to be a more concrete uh, pairing. Russ has been a really effective play driver and a really good compliment to Malkin at 5v5 this season. He's obviously having a career year. Um, I mean, I guess if you disregard the point per game stretch he had last season. So, <laughs> yeah, it's a, I think Russ is probably the safest uh, pick outside of Crosby, Malkin, Gensel in that order. And then after that, I'd probably be looking to uh, Zucker or Zucker, however you want to say it. Um, he says Zucker. I think everyone else says Zucker. So Yeah. <laughs> So hard not to. It looks exactly like Zucker. Yeah, right. So Zucker could play both wings. Uh, so he's obviously the the main candidate to move up to play with Crosby. Uh, should Shiri kind of falter, maybe they just want a different look. We saw Zucker already playing a little bit with Crosby before the pause. Uh, and they looked half decent together. Uh, of course, that was without Gensel there before. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I would bet on Zucker staying in the top six for the most part, but you never know. I mean, you look at the names they got uh, down the lineup that could potentially move up. Obviously, there's Patrick Hornquist. There's Patrick Marlowe, who hasn't really gotten much of a look uh, with the Penguins. I'd be surprised if he plays a whole lot in the top six, but it's certainly a possibility. Uh, and then Jared McCann would be the other one that could move up and play the wing uh, and steal some minutes as well. Currently, we got him slotted at third line center. So, uh, like I said, there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of moving parts in this lineup on a regular basis. So uh, I wouldn't expect it to be totally concrete throughout the playoffs. So I think it's hard to bet on any of those secondary players really having a sustained run. I'm sure one of them will pop up and surprise us and put some goals together and cement a spot in the top six. Wouldn't shock me, but I think it's too hard to call ahead of time. So uh, if I can't get one of Crosby against Malkin or Rust, obviously Rust would be my fourth pick of the four. I'm probably not going to end up picking a Penguin forward. Yeah, I think the one thing that's the most interesting is kind of how I said it earlier. They haven't really been healthy like this. They haven't had all these guys. So we they don't even really know what this lineup is going to look like with all those guys healthy. Like Zucker and right. Malkin, haven't, I don't even think they've played together yet. Um, right. Coming into the series, Zucker was basically primarily uh, with Crosby on the top line. And then it was Rust and, and Malkin on the second line. And then they kind of – that's where they rotated. Um, right. So now Zucker gets dropped to this line with Malkin and they've, they've never really played together. And maybe it's instant chemistry. Maybe they're awful and they have to make a change. 
Right. So it, it is interesting. Uh, okay. We obviously, we're just going to skip over Montreal. We're not a huge fan of, you know, I don't, outside of Gallagher, Tatar, uh, not really anybody that can score on that team. Um, from Pitt or from a Carolina perspective, I think that we all uh, can agree that like, you know, Aho, Teravine and Svechnikov are kind of their top dogs. Um, I think the, one of the only other guys that I really like, uh, you know, is a guy like Justin Williams, perhaps he's always seems to, to bring his best foot forward at this time of year. He sat out the entire season uh, to get ready for the playoffs and then got an additional four months rest. So he should be rearing to go and he, you know, kind of always defines himself uh, on the score sheet. The playoffs plays uh, usually somewhere in the middle six on that team. Um, yeah. And then I think Vincent Trocek, I think he's a guy that's been kind of banged up for a while here and he's finally getting back to, uh, you know, full health. Uh, we talked about how the injuries probably slowed him down no. a little bit, uh, maybe four months off. He might be, uh, you know, a little bit better off now after the rest. I'm not even going to get into Nino Niederreiter because if I start talking Nino Niederreiter, uh, I'm just going to start crying. Yeah, I get Trocek, um, to me, it's interesting. You know, we heard some reports that he might have gotten rushed back or maybe came back a little bit too early from the broken leg and, you know, some speculation that it might have actually caused him to lose a step. So it'd be interesting to see how he looks coming back from the pause. Um, but I, I just, I think he's a good player. I, I, I'm kind of uh, pessimistic about the impact he can make with this role. Like, obviously he's not going to threaten Aho for first line minutes and then Stahl is going to eat a ton of minutes just as the de facto shutdown uh, second line center. You know, it's not totally uh, unordinary to see him play the most minutes of anyone on uh, any, sorry, Carolina forwards. So uh, I I think there's just not a lot of minutes to go around at that point. He's going to be locked into this third line role. And then you look at, uh, Carolina is actually a team that likes to play their fourth line more than most. So I think he's going to be, you know, closer to 13, 14, maybe 15 minutes a night. So it's going to be tough for him to really make an impact. So uh, that's tricky. Probably not going to be seeing too much power play time as well, at least not with the first unit. Um, Martin Natas is another guy that I I like a lot and I love his upside for the future. But again, I, it's hard to imagine him really cracking into the top six at this point, Williams and stall. I got to imagine our pretty concrete duel on the second line. Uh, Like I said, just basically for shutdown purposes and for matchup purposes. And then Aho and Teravainen have been pretty solid together this year and haven't seen too much time apart. Um, So it's hard to imagine Natas really cracking that top six, Uh, but he's a great player and could definitely make an impact if he was given the ice time. Uh, not unsimilar to Trocek, but yeah, I just don't think there's a lot of minutes to go around on that team. I think this time, well, I should say this time next year, but at some point leading up to next season uh, before fantasy drafts, whenever they may be, um, Natchez is a guy we're probably going to be talking quite a bit about next year. Uh, yeah, I'd imagine kind of just Justin a guy that Williams fits... won't be back next year. After... Yes, I would imagine so. Uh, at the very thing... least, he'd probably take a few months off again. Yeah, the other thing that's like, you don't want to go too deep on some of these teams because... You know, we just talked about how they might get by the Rangers, but they're goaltending suspect. It's hard to envision them going to the third round. Yeah, uh, I, yeah I'd be, exactly. Yeah, I, I, you don't want to I, dive too deep into these teams that are only going to go to the first round, maybe. Exactly, yeah. I didn't love their chances of making a deep playoff run simply because of the goaltending uh, with the original playoff format. So now that when you look and they have another best of five to get past even to get there, it obviously um, doesn't really bode well for the chances or, you know, the – it's not very appealing to take one of these guys down the lineup. Obviously, Aho, Teravine, and Svechnikov, you're a little bit more tempted to pull the trigger and hope they can make it out of the first round and make a little bit of a run. Uh, but I don't think it's really worth considering much more than that. Yeah, I mean, even if you get those guys, you know, they could, they're, they're good enough where they could pick up 10 points if they're only playing 10 games still. Uh, right, the other guys, but I mean, you know, if they're only playing three or four games. Well, yeah, if they don't get out of the qualifying round, it's a whole different story. Exactly. Uh, from, the, from the New York side... 
sorry, uh, Ryan Strom, obviously a guy who plays with Panarin. He could still pick up points if they're able to get out of the qualifying round. And then I'd say Chris Kreider and Buchnevich as well. Uh, pretty clear secondary choices. But Panarin is a band that obviously the top dogs, the guys that you want. Yeah. Uh, let's fire it over to the Blue Stones. When we get back, we are going to talk about the Islanders and Panthers and the Maple Leafs and Blue Jackets and a little bit of round robin t- talk. So uh, enjoy the Blue Stones. We will see you back here in 60 seconds. It's not over now. Don't lay your flag and turn away. It's not over now. Not this way. So blow a kiss and wrap me up in darkness. Make it quick. Sticks and holds I can't see no other way to come So pick up your bags And we can start something new again episode who the fuck knows of the daily face <laughs> podcast i'm your co-host dylan berthume you guys were back listening to some sweet sweet riffs from the blue stones still making music still pumping out tunes uh throughout a global pandemic admirable effort by them give them a follow check them out spotify apple music wherever you find music you can find the blue stones so getting back into it now uh we got a couple more qualifying rounds to go over in the easter conference and then we'll quickly graze over the four round robin teams and uh kind of who we got high hopes for and who we like moving forward in the playoffs and uh after that uh it'll be time to go home and say our goodbyes and pick it back up again next week (laughs) that was a great intro welcome back i love it um just also wanted to throw in that the daily faceout podcast is brought to you by our friends at oddshark.com as are all of our odds um if you want to bet on the playoffs it's smart to go over to oddshark they have uh, literally every book, uh, the odds from each book. So you can find out which uh, book is offering the best odds on the teams or games that you want to bet on. Or the futures. And, yeah, and the futures. Yeah, so if, like, if you want to bet, uh, I'm sure you can find a number like 12 to 1 on the Leafs on, some, uh, on a book uh, or 10 to 1 on another book. So if you want a good number on the Leafs, go for it. Find the right book at oddshark.com. Let's talk about the Islanders and Panthers. Uh, during the break, you said this is the series you were least excited about. And then I said, well, what about Nashville and Arizona? So before we really dive in here, which one are you actually least excited to watch? I forgot Nashville and Arizona was a series that could potentially happen in the NHL. So I, I would have to go with that one. Um, no, obviously that's going to be a little bit slightly less 
little more low event, little lower event, I guess would be the language. It's going to be a boring series, naturally. <laughs> There's the real language. Yeah, but I mean, uh, yeah. Like, the reason I, I really went at it in this day, it's just hard to imagine either of these teams going on much of a run if they do make it through the qualifying round. Obviously, Islander surprised a lot of people last season. Um, and I, I would say they even continue to do that this season, continue to defy the doubters. And they've got two firm doubters uh, in me and you here, Brock. Uh, and we do love the Panthers, although we recognize their flaws. So I, I feel like you'll be with me and rooting for the Panthers in this one. They play a little bit more entertaining style of hockey than uh, Trotz's Islanders. But like I said, I just I have a hard time imagining each of these teams doing much damage in the postseason. But I said the same thing about the Islanders last year. So who really knows? <laughs> The Islanders last year were hilarious. Like, go in and sweep the Penguins and then just go get absolutely dusted in four by the Hurricanes. Like, what a playoff experience. <laughs> like, like, just the high of a high of, like, sweeping the Penguins and then getting swept by the Hurricanes immediately after is hilarious. Yeah, I would never have dreamed that was going to be a second-round matchup last season. But no. um doesn't seem like it'll be the case this year. I mean, the second round is really the third round. But who knows with how this season's going to work out. And we're reseeding this year, which you love to see. Thank uh, God. Spe- especially as a fan of the Atlantic Division, to not have to play through your own division, uh, at least not automatically, is a, is a nice benefit. But, um, yeah, it seems silly not to – I mean, I get it. I think people are a little bit upset. People like to do the playoff brackets and the playoff pools. It's nice to have a firm bracket uh, to do those things. It really is just for the fans, though. As far as the competitive integrity goes, I think reseeding makes a lot of sense. Otherwise, why are you playing in an 82-game regular season? It is funny, though, because, like, it, may, it actually makes more sense almost to do a bracket now because, like, you just – Well, you're just going to get handed like a number one seed because you did what? Like you won a three game round robin. Right. Right. If you finish first overall in a, in a full 82 game season, like then you should be playing the worst team possible the whole playoffs. Like that's how it worked. That's how it worked forever. Instead now, like you have like the Leafs and the Bruins like facing off every single year for no apparent fucking reason. Yeah. And I, I know you guys already, I don't want to dwell on the Western Conference too much, but um, I, we were talking about it again between the break. The, no one, I, I think, has uh, lucked out more with the pause and then the return to play strategy than the Dallas Stars. The Stars that were on a massive losing streak heading right before the pause. I think it was like a six, seven or eight game losing streak. Forgive me, I don't have the actual number, but they were going through their roughest patch of the season. Uh, and what looked like, you know, a really secure playoff spot was even starting to come down. All of a sudden, the season goes on pause. They're a half game above the Oilers. They hold on to that fourth spot. And now with how the format works for the seeding and the round robin, they can only move up. So it seems a little bit silly, like you said, that Dallas could potentially have a couple of good games or maybe Bishop gets hot and they steal a couple. They go two and one in the round robin and it might be enough. I guess that probably is impossible to be enough because they, they wouldn't have a tiebreaker. But uh, – I, two and one could win it, maybe. It I don't could. know. Yeah, well, because it's there's no uh, like uh, it's regular season rules too, right? Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, they, they right, actually right, finished right. on a six game losing streak. It is yeah. interesting to note though that their six game losing streak all against playoff teams: uh, Boston, St. Louis, Edmonton, Nashville, Nashville, and the Rangers. Well, I'm not sure if that's as, encouraging or discouraging. I mean, those I don't are the know teams what, they're going to have to make beat, it. But, yeah. <laughs> I think the discouraging part of it is the fact that they scored three goals in their final four games before the pause. So uh, hopefully they p- do not pick up where they left off. Tough. And I don't think you does. can expect any team to like, I don't think you can expect really any short-term trends to all of a sudden pick up exactly as they were after a break. That's been longer than most off seasons. So yeah, uh, yeah that's the hardest thing to really judge going into this uh, 
you know, I'm a guy that loves to look at rolling 30-day stats throughout the season, and you really can't do that heading into the playoffs now. We kind of have to look at season-long numbers and just make our projections and our assumptions based off of that. So, uh, yeah, it's a lot different, and I, I agree with you. It seems a little silly that uh, when – through the grind of an 82 game season, you get the first place seed and you're not even guaranteed to get the, you know, like you say, the lightest opponent round through round, but now with uh, this. Like kind the of Islanders high... last year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, interesting to say the least and a bit peculiar given what they've done in the last few years, but uh, a welcomed return to reseeding after each round. Yeah. Hopefully we all just get it forever. Uh, we love it so much that hopefully we just get to keep it forever. It don't just take makes it away sense. One through eight. You don't got it. Do you want to think any harder about it than that? No, it's it was so simple for so long. We want rivalries. It's like, yeah, you got a rivalry with the Leafs. I hate Boston. You did it. Congratulations. (laughs) I hate the Bruins. It worked. (laughs) Thank you very much. Um, All right. Islanders, Panthers. Uh, Like you said, Mm -hmm. neither one of us huge Islanders supporters. Um, I think for a pretty good reason. They're pretty overrated. Um, And we like the Panthers, who are probably also pretty overrated, but they at least have guys that make me excited about watching hockey, like Alexander Parkoff and Jonathan Huberdeau. Um, So who do you like in this series, uh, and why is it the Panthers? (laughs) I Listen, I I picked the Panthers to win this series. I think they're going to have a hard time. I think it's the type of team that they struggle against, not unlike the Leafs that we're going to talk in a little bit. Uh, This is a tough matchup for them. you know, like some other teams we've already talked about, they're a team that uh, generally has to jeopardize some defensive uh, play in order to create offense, um, which isn't ideal when you're playing against a stingy team like the Islanders. Uh, a lot of times you're going to see those risks go without any sort of reward and uh, you'll end up penalized and seeing the puck in the back of your own net. So I think this on paper is a, is a good matchup for the Islanders. Uh, obviously, I love the firepower at the Panthers. Uh, the power play is incredible, and I think in a five-game series, that could really uh, make a serious impact. Obviously, every goal matters just that much more. Um, Goaltending is an interesting point. If we're looking at season-long numbers, it looks like the Islanders have the upper hand, but we don't even know who their goalie is going to be in game one. You assume it's going to be Varlamov. Um, you hope. Yeah, I just have I, – I understand Bobrovsky had, you know, his typical down year this season – one of his one of the worst years we've seen from in recent years and if the playoffs are happening as they usually would obviously the edge and goal goes to the Islanders but I just have a really hard time after such a long break saying you know without doubt for these next five games or whatever Islanders goaltending is going to be that much better than Sergei Bobrovsky I just I have a hard time buying into that um I just think there's so much more at play here and there's so much more unpredictability to this season's qualifying rounds to the playoffs than most years just because of the prolonged break there's no real recent form to judge off of so in that regard I, I think the Panthers are a little bit of a wild card if they can get the old Sergei Bobrovsky perhaps the Bobrovsky we saw in last year's playoffs uh, obviously they're a, a team that I like not only to win this round, but maybe make a little bit of dent moving forward as well. Um, because that, that really was the one piece they've been missing the last few seasons. Uh, like I said, they jeopardize a little bit in their defensive end, but with all the offensive firepower they have, it should be enough. So I, I think a good goaltender really does make them a legitimate team to, if not contend for the Eastern Conference title, at least be up and around uh, the last couple rounds of, of the playoffs. So uh, yeah, I like the Panthers a lot, but I do think this is a pretty tough matchup for them. I have them winning in five. So it's interesting because you say the Islanders are stingy and everybody seems to think that like, Oh my God, they just, 
They don't, they don't, you know, they give up scoring chances, but they don't give up quality chances. That's their mantra. Barry Trotz, Barry Trotz, Barry Trotz. Like every, I've got, I got into so many arguments with Islanders fans this year. And it's like, dude, they're not as good as you think. Like you're missing it. You, you don't realize it's like, Oh, the numbers lie. They don't lie. They gave up the fifth most scoring chances against and the fourth most high danger chances against all year. They're not as stingy as people seem to think that they are. And it, it, they, their season last year and this year just completely defied logic, really. I don't know how they've managed to do it twice in a row. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I, I will say that in terms of tracking what's considered a high-danger chance might not always look like a high-danger chance to me and you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd also like to point out I'm the one that fed you that stat in between breaks, so don't just go flipping this on me. Like, I don't know what I'm talking about. No, you said uh, they were You said they were fourth. Because you were right. No, the fourth one you fed me, they gave up the, Again. They actually had the fourth most high danger chances for and gave up fourth most high danger chances against, which is. Yeah, I, I do agree that the stingy narrative is a, a little bit off on, on the Islanders. Um, but I, I will say that it does seem to be a little bit more geared uh, to the high danger chances. If you look at shots for the Islanders have just the third most shots for uh, at even strength in the NHL. So uh, it really does seem to be uh, a quality versus quantity thing. The third, uh, third le- or third fewest shots for excuse me and then you look at that they're somehow in the top five in high danger chances again it kind of screams to sustainability um but it probably also speaks to the barzell line getting a little bit uh i don't know the word i can't find the word for it. a little bit reckless i i guess you could say and maybe why trots has put the reins on him as strictly as you have because it can lead to a little bit more up and down play than obviously trots is comfortable playing uh but i think like you say that stingy narrative that maybe i played into a little bit too much there it's really fed into by the goaltending they've got the last few seasons and again that is the hardest part for me to bank on replicating going into this so that's why i give the slight edge to the panthers again i love their firepower uh but it's just hard for me to come on here and talk a bunch of shit about the Islanders after, you know, kind of what they've done over the last year and a half. No, I get it. A hundred percent. And then I wanted to just go back to your point on Sergei Bobrovsky. Uh, I love Bobrovsky. I hope he plays well. Uh, But if we're going off of, you know, the only game we have to go off of, it wasn't a very promising start giving up five goals on 34 shots um, in their scrimmage game the other day, obviously not, the ideal start to this, uh, the second go around of the playoffs here. Um, but that was against the Tampa Bay lightning. So if there is a team that you're going to give up five against, it's probably the lightning. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I also have the Panthers in five. Um, I just, I just don't really know what to make of either one of these teams. Like I want to say the Panthers for sure. Um, to me, it was just so, it was so close. They're both just not very good. Um, <laughs> and it was just like, I mean, like the Panthers were they had the eighth worst expected goals for percentage in the NHL. Um, the, the Islanders 12th worst. So like both, you know, right in the bottom third of the league and expected goals for percentage this season at 5v5. Um, I guess the one area that you can really uh, speak to and say, hey, you know, I can cling to this and say they're great is um, the Florida Panthers power play really good this year, 10th in the league. Um, and then the Islanders, when you when you look at them, 24th in the league on the power play, it's just um, that might be the slight edge they need. But again, like if, if Bobrovsky doesn't play well, the, you know, the Panthers are completely fucked. They don't yeah, stand a I- chance. Like if he plays bad, they're going to get swept. Right, and that just shows you how, how big of a wild card goaltending can be and how 
uh, much of an impact it, it can have on your performance when we're talking with all the firepower they have that if all of a sudden they were to get elite goaltending, this is a team you wouldn't want to face in the playoffs. Uh, but I completely agree with you that uh, if we're looking off of what we've seen this season and uh, what this team has been, and you look at some of the pieces they've actually moved out this year, because they probably didn't imagine they'd be in a playoff scenario. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not a great outlook. Uh, again, I, I do think the matchup is tough for them. It's not ideal, um, but they have enough firepower, enough star power where uh, you could definitely see them making an impact in such a short series. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you never want to write off a team that finished sixth in the league and goals four. Um, obviously, there's a lot of firepower there. They did rely a little bit on a high shooting percentage, but um, it's not like the Islanders weren't relying on a high save percentage. So it's kind of just like two teams that overachieved throughout the year going head to head. Yeah. And they overachieved easy. in opposite, you know, opposite ends of the spectrum. It's going to be very interesting to see kind of how this plays out. I was kind of talking about it with Biebs earlier. Um, yeah the Minnesota Vancouver series, it's going to be so interesting to see how that one pans out. Cause it's literally just two completely different philosophies going head to head. Like, right. like the, the Canucks are one of the best at generating offense, but also give up the most offense against. And then the wild generate literally no offense, but they give up no offense. Like it's, right. it's going to be so funny to see how that whole series plays out. And I think that this is another one where it's just kind of, two teams that are just for lack of a better term kind of got lucky this year. And it's going to be interesting to see, you know, who can get luckier, I guess it's not who's better, who can get luckier in this series. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I would agree. And I, I think you could probably say the same, if not more so for the, the last series we got to talk about here with the Leafs and the Blue Jackets. Yeah. Leafs and Blue Jackets. Um, sorry, I just want to get back quickly. Uh, just odds, both 33 to one for the Islanders and Panthers. So, um, even Vegas is Pardon me? Is that cup odds? Uh, no, odds to win the Eastern Conference. So not only, um, obviously, Vegas even thinks that um, it's a pretty even series. Not really sure who's going to pick, but they also kind of have recognized that even if one of these two teams does, whichever team, I guess, emerges from this series really doesn't have much of a prayer in the Eastern Conference. Which is really unique if you look at the odds across the boards. I mean, plus 3,300 if you only really see those kind of odds uh, with the Canadians. Uh, I guess the Blue Jackets, the, the teams that they're really uh, expecting to be in lopsided first round series with the qualifying round. So really not seeing those kind of odds uh, in such an even series. So maybe some value to be had there, especially with all the uncertainties and the unknown, but it's it's hard to uh, to draw laws, a lot of positives and uh, I guess to draw like a reasonable route based on logic to the cup final for either of these teams. Yeah. And, but you know what, the one point you made earlier that that kind of is going to make betting so interesting um, in these playoffs is there is no 30 day trends. There's nothing to go off of. And, right. you know, we have nothing to go off as the betters, but Vegas really has nothing to go off of either. So it's like, there are going to be numbers out there that, are good and you're going to be able to find some value. And like, there's a team that could just come in white hot and just, you know, steamroll through the playoffs for no apparent reason. Uh, is it going to happen? Is it likely, you know, probably not, but it could happen. No one really knows, you know, it's so, it's such an unknown. And you know what, that could change as soon as the round Robins and qualifying rounds over, right? Like once we get through that, the numbers are going to change a ton. Yeah. But you could, if you get on a number right now, like Calgary at, I think 28 to one, it's like, 
if they get hot, that's a that's a team that could be kind of a force to be reckoned with. I think the number the, one in, seed in the Western Conference last year, right? Yes, exactly. And it's just like they're at the same number as you know uh, some of these other teams that they're are you know a worse number than the Rangers. And I think that if I had to pick a team right. um, that could actually reach the finals, it's it's the uh, it's the Flames over the Rangers, and they you know they're coming in way lower in the odds. It's just it's right. interesting just to kind of look at the numbers, and no one really knows what the fuck's going on. Yeah, especially in such, like you said, such a toss-up in the first round where obviously the Flames could easily get the better of the Jets and be on to what could be a decent first-round matchup if there's some other upsets around them. Yeah, and like, yeah, they're the, they're, there's one upset and they're they're laughing. They're, you know, exactly. facing number three. And even, seventh even or sixth seed. the interesting thing is you could still get a good matchup in the second round or what, I guess, the real first round. Right, um, depending on how the round robin. Yeah, like a team that you're like, oh, we can beat these guys, like. I would be way less afraid of playing Dallas than the other three teams in the Western Conference. But if Dallas steals a couple games, then all of a sudden you're playing Dallas in the first round. And they I won. think, yeah, and I think that's the West in a nutshell this year. There's a lot of parity, and it's really hard to draw to pick one team that you think is firmly ahead of the others. Like I like St. Louis, I like Vegas a lot, but can I say for sure that they're that much better than Colorado or Dallas or even maybe any of the other teams that are going to come out of the qualifying rounds? I don't think so. Not as much uh, as you would in recent years, anyway. I think. There's a much more of a top-heavy factor going on in the East, and I think you got to like the East chances of taking home uh, the title uh, regardless. But at the end of the day, only one team can represent the Eastern Conference in the Stanley Cup Finals, and obviously some of these teams are really hard to beat in seven-game series. Uh, so it's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I just – yeah, it's like I'd have a hard time picking a number one seed. If you had laid out those eight or however many teams in the Western Conference and said which one do you think is the, the best team, it's really hard to pick one because I don't think there's anyone that really stands out. I mean, St. Louis, like I said, I love St. Louis, but they're really not a team that just jumps off of you at being the best team in the league. They're an incredibly uh, strong team. They're a very deep team. They're very hard to score on, and they're you know incredibly tough to play against. You never want to play them, but I, I just don't think they have that squad that jumps out off the page at you. Yeah, and, you know, and Beebs picked uh, St. Louis as his number one in the West. I picked Vegas. Um, yeah. But when you point to both those teams, they both, you're right. They don't completely jump off the page. They, they both have flaws. You can see evident holes in both those teams still. Um, right. Whereas the I, East, you're looking at the number five seed in the Penguins and it's easy to imagine them going all the way. Right. So I think it's quite a different. It's piece. evident in the odds at seven to one. Yeah. And even the hurricanes too, or the Maple Leafs, if you want to go that far. <laughs> I know you want to go that far, so let's go that far right now. At ten to one, the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, taking taking on the Columbus Blue Jackets, who are thirty three to one. To terrible value, I would say, for the Leafs as per usual. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's what happens when everybody puts their money on them. Uh, <laughs> I'll actually have to head over to Odd Shark and see how much that line has moved uh, recently. But all right, obviously you are a resident Leafs fan. I can't really say anything uh, that you don't already know. So tell me why the Leafs are going to win this series. <laughs> I guess you're hoping that that's my take, right? Um, it's a hundred percent your take. <laughs> yeah, obviously I like the Leafs <laughs> to win this series, um, but it's a little concerning. Um, you know, the series is being framed as an offensive juggernaut versus the defensive stalwart in Columbus. Uh, but I, I almost wonder if that's the route that Tortorella wants to take with his team, or if it's the route he's had to resign to. Uh, over the course of the season with all the injury troubles, you know, that they've fallen in. Obviously, Tortorella tends to coach a more conservative game in general, but I think when you compare, obviously, when you compare injuries, no one suffered more than the Blue Jackets this year. So um, it's fair to say that perhaps no one's benefited more from a three or four month long pause. Um, well, it's more than that, right? Five, four months, yeah. Four. Four? We'll call it four. Yeah, four and a half. Um, 
yeah, I mean, it's the fact that you've got a healthy Blue Jackets team. We could be seeing as many as five, six, seven, eight different guys in the lineup as there were in March. So um, it's pretty interesting in that regard. Uh, but I, I do think it's a little bit skewed as opposed to that, you know, that simple framing of the offensive powerhouse that's willing to risk it on their own end to create offense at the other end versus the conservative, like I said, defensive stalwart in the Blue Jackets. Uh, I think the Jackets have been a lot more reliant on their goaltending than most people realize. Um, they've done a good but not what you would call a great job of limiting scoring chances. They rank 11th in the NHL in scoring chances against at 5v5. Uh, but they have been backed in goal by the fifth best 5v5 save percentage. Uh, and it's worth noting, you know, the Jackets do appear to be rather content with surrendering shots and scoring chan- scoring chances from, I guess, what you would deem semi-threatening positions uh, in an effort to wall off the high danger areas. And again, I wonder if that's a route uh, that they've kind of had to take and been resigned to or won by choice. Uh, but only the Wild surrendered less high danger chances at 5v5 than Columbus this season. Uh, and that's despite, you know, them not being in the top 10 and scoring chances again. So I do think there's a bit of strategy in play there. Um, they do really seem to kind of have the center play a lot deeper than most teams do in their defensive zone uh, and the wingers as well. It seems like to be, like I said, more of a walling out strategy. Uh, and I'm not sure that's a, the greatest approach to take against a team with, like the Maple Leafs with all the sharp shooters that they have. Uh, I don't know if you can last five games against Austin Matthews and John Tavares playing like that. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. And I, like I said, I think we need to remember we're essentially going to be seeing a different hockey team uh, in August than we saw in March with the Blue Jackets. So um, having said that, I, I think any way you slice it, you have to give the Leafs the edge at 5v5. Um, and I, like I was already saying with this podcast before, with goaltending across the board, I have a really hard time personally putting into a lot of stock into some of the numbers we've seen this season just with the layoff. We've seen how goalies can change season to season, year to year, the ups and downs they can have. And this has been longer than most off seasons. Um, so, you know, if, if you're lining up the series and you say, okay, you know, Leafs have the edge of 5v5, probably a slight edge in special teams as well. But Columbus has the goaltending. It, it's harder to say that now. Like, are you really expecting Elvis to outplay Freddie over a five-game series? Um, you know, especially a goalie that's as streaky as Anderson has been over his career. So there's a lot at play here, but I, I think the more you break it down, the better it looks for the Maple Leafs. Um, having said that, to be fair, the formula for beating the Leafs last few seasons since kind of the overhaul and the, the players they've had come in and develop uh, Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Nylander, uh the way to beat them, the form that it beats them as the Bruins have put on full display has been to grind them down, shorten the game, make it as low event as possible with the thought being, you know, if you can make defense and goaltending the deciding factors, you've got a really good chance at beating the Maple Leafs. Uh, and Columbus certainly has the personnel to do that. So I, I think it's a concern. I think it's slightly being overplayed in the media a little bit. I, I do think it should be viewed as a more lopsided series, um, but it's going to be interesting. It has me worried a little bit. Uh, Leafs look great in their only exhibition game, which is, you know, how much you can really say for that. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, like I said, I, anyway, the deeper you go into it, the better it looks for the Maple Leafs. Uh, but on the surface, it's a little bit concerning with the style of play and the Jackets, the Jackets play. Yeah, it's, uh, it's so funny because I think like the media, like the mainstream media would be like, oh my God, the Leafs are going to just run over the Blue Jackets. But <laughs> the Blue Jackets out of nowhere, go beat the Lightning last year. And I think, like, now everyone's just leaning towards that. Like, that's just going to happen again. Well, how did they do that, right? They had a goal you posted a 950 or whatever it was. that Exactly. It like, it's got to be – it was just out of nowhere. And it's like, that's like that's great and all. But, like, that is not just going to repeat itself. They're not a team that's, like, 
meh in the regular season. They're just going to do that every year. Like it's just not, you know what I mean? Like it's, if they didn't do that last year, the mainstream media wouldn't be so like worried about the blue jackets. Like they're, you know, they're fine. Um, the one thing that's so interesting to me, uh, and, and people might not realize this because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little more privy to the, the lines and I'm updating them every day and looking at it is Tortorella seems to be going for this like real match the Leafs speed approach. Um, so I think that it could like based on the way he's configuring his lines. I mean, you got uh, Alexander Texier, who's now back from injury. He's going to be on the top line or has been staying on the top line. Liam Foody, who has like five career NHL games. He, he's going to be, you know, inserted in the lineup in the top nine, who could, but he can absolutely fly. It looks mm-hmm. like they're going to just try to match the, the Maple Leafs speed and try to play a, this fast paced game. Uh, to, to try to keep up with the Leafs. And like you said, that's not really the formula that has been proven successful against Toronto in recent right. years. So it's going to be very interesting to see if that's kind of just... Um, yeah, it's almost like, obviously, Tortorella's got to be happy to have all these pieces coming back in the lineup, but I don't envy the decisions he has to make with, you know, not obviously the pause only complicates things, but you have all these bodies coming back into the lineup that weren't in play before. Uh, and it's just a lot of moving parts to have to fit in in such a short time and hopefully hope it all clicks. Yeah. Like I think uh, in a series like this, they would love if Josh Anderson was back healthy, uh, but obviously get Texier back, uh, Seth Jones back, Atkinson back. Like a lot of these guys probably would have been back for a regular playoff regardless. Jorks. You want to talk yeah, about but George Strand, uh, like a lot of these guys weren't like out super long term, uh, right? But like still, like now four months off, they are, you know, as healthy as could be. Uh, you know, Jones had a really bad ankle injury in February. He was expected to be out until the middle of April. So yeah, and it, um, it's just the the idea that all these guys that are coming back, they don't have any nagging injury that you really need to worry about. They've had ample time to rest uh, and should, you know, presumably be at a hundred percent or as close as you can be after such a long layoff. So as a Leafs fan. You have them winning in five. I, I broke down five. I can, obviously you can. It's easy to imagine them wrapping up a lot sooner than that. Um, but I just I, I do think Columbus is going to give them a hard time, um, and it's not going to be terribly surprising to see the Leafs fire forty shots on goal one of the games and see Elvis stop thirty seven, thirty eight, thirty nine of them. So yeah, I just. I just think Columbus is going to give them a bit of a hard time. Like you said, they're bringing a lot of speed to skate with the Maple Leafs, which, uh, you know, from might lead to some more high event hockey, but if you're hoping to, to, I mean, slow them down offensively, you do at least need to be able to skate with them. And Boston has obviously got a lot of speed in their lineup that they've been able to use the right way the last few years against the Maple Leafs. Columbus is a, a far way off Boston. Um, but yeah, I, I, the other important thing to, to mention here is I, I think they can really go nine, 12 forwards deep and match the depth that the Maple Leafs have. Um, so I think it's going to be a closer series um, than the odds would indicate. But I, obviously, I like the Leafs to come out on top. Yeah, it's interesting. Obviously, you got the Columbus Blue Jackets, third uh, fewest expected goals against in the NHL this year. Toronto, fourth most expected goals for. So uh, very similar to that Vancouver, Minnesota series that I referenced earlier, kind of a team that struggles to score, but pretty stingy defensively versus a team that has no problem scoring, but can be leaky defensively at times. So it's very similar to that series. Uh, I think though that um, in in that case, you've almost got uh, a Minnesota team that is so reliant defensively and a Vancouver team that is, you know, offensive enough, uh, but they're not quite the Maple Leafs, right? It's, it's similar, but I think that that one's closer because neither one of them are as good at their craft as Toronto is offensively or 
Minnesota is defensively. So it's going to be very interesting in this series as well. I've got Toronto in four uh, based on how, uh, you know, when I did my bracket, obviously I, I, I was trying to figure out how the round robin uh, was going to work. Yeah. I think that the Leafs have a really good chance of even getting past the second round this year, uh, depending on the matchup. But the one thing is now, if the Islanders win, like instead of the Panthers, like we have, uh, then the Leafs are now the low seed. Uh, right. They're the eight and they're, you know, they might get Tampa. They might get, Boston, and then they're in trouble again. Um, right, but it, I mean, it, to be fair, with this three-game round robin, like it's going to be, it's really hard to say how these four games are going to turn out, and they could end up. I mean, with Boston Philadelphia, up, yeah, I mean, Tampa, Boston could end up being the three-four seed, and then maybe sure. the bottom seed is the one you'd rather the least would prefer if Philly ends up somehow squeaking out a couple of wins in those three games, right? So it's going to be interesting. And that's kind of what we said about Calgary. Like, they could get lucky. And, face yeah. and I think obviously they would prefer Washington to Boston or Tampa too. We saw them take Washington to six games. I think it was in the overtime in six games, two year, two, three years ago, the first year, Matthews rookie year, Matthews and Marner rookie year. Yeah. Um, they took what ended up being the Stanley cup champion capitals to six games in overtime. Um, so yeah, I'd say, I, I think those obviously Washington Philly play a lot more into uh, the least hands. And I've been saying it for two years now. I'd rather face the Lightning uh, in the playoffs than the Bruins. So I'd love to see that matchup happen in the playoffs. I think that'd probably be one of the most entertaining matchups you could put down on paper and bring to life on ice. So uh, that'd be great to see that happen. But I have my concerns and I'm not ready to overlook the Blue Jackets just yet. Okay, before we wrap things up, uh, let's talk round robin teams a little bit more. Who do you think of the four is the best? I still, I still think the Bruins are the most well-rounded team. I think they proved that this season um, over however many games they ended up playing. Um, yeah, I just, I think they have the offensive firepower, but they have the defensive responsibility to go with it. I, I think they're just so hard to open up and can open you up so easily. Uh, it could be really frustrating to play against. And uh, obviously they're good at getting under your skin as well. And I, I just, they have the playoff experience if you want to talk about that shit as well. So uh, I think any way you cut it, the Bruins are, are a really good team. Um, the Lightning obviously looking to erase some bad memories from last season. And on paper, you might not find uh, more firepower or a more attractive team than the Lightning. The Capitals, it's hard to bet against OV. I mean, it's pretty obvious that the Flyers look like the, four, the fourth best team of the four. Yeah, I think the Flyers have a chance to surprise, but it was just like they were in a spot where like, hey, we're a pretty good hockey team. And then at the trade deadline, they go and get like, Derek Grant and Nate Thompson. It's like, okay, fine. But like that doesn't move the needle much. Uh, hopefully Oscar Lindwald comes back just fresh off an extension. Yeah, he's on the uh, roster, right? He's on the roster. Yeah, I don't know if he's playing yet, but uh, you know, that would be a huge boost for that team. And just like, what a great story if he could come back and play. Absolutely. We need great stories right now. Yeah, we do. So desperately. Uh, but yeah, let's just talk really quickly before we go. Uh, we kind of skipped over it again. Uh, from the Leafs, if you're, if you're picking the Leafs to go, who's kind of a secondary guy that you'd be looking to draft in a, in a fantasy pool? Well, I'm definitely not looking to draft him, but I can't believe we almost ended the podcast without talking about Nick Robertson because that's all the hype these days. Could be the first 18-year-old to play for the Maple Leafs in 12 years, and I honestly don't see – like, people are really debating whether or not he's going to be in the lineup on opening night. Like, they've had one, exactly one exhibition game to play with, 
and he was on the third line. He wasn't one of the rotating pieces on the fourth line playing an audition. You know what I mean? I, I think it's pretty obvious that they're intent on using him and not only using him, but using him in the top nine. He doesn't skate alongside Kerfoot and Kapanen and the only possible look you're going to get before these playoffs, if that's not your intention. Uh, and he looked pretty good. He's got a heavy shot, not going to make a massive impact, obviously, but I just thought we had to mention him. So I wouldn't be drafting him uh, in any fantasy playoff fools, but I, I do think it's really interesting. And I definitely do think he's going to be playing uh, in game one at the very least. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit of an interesting uh, story to follow. Uh, aside from that, though, I, I think it's the usual customers. Uh, Zach Hyman's going to be playing most likely with Austin Matthews, uh, and looks like William Nylander on the top line. Uh, and he's obviously come uh, his offensive games come around a little bit more this year, and he's looked. Uh, I mean, every year he plays, he looks better and better with the puck, which has always um, been obviously his biggest downfall. He's a terrific player off the puck, and he's great at getting the puck to those other guys, but you're starting to see those hard numbers as well. So, uh, And he's going to play a ton of minutes. So I, I think Hyman a little bit, but again, I still don't think in like you know your standard fantasy playoff pools that I'd really be reaching for him. I don't know with how much ice time the big four eat, how much of a case you can really make for anyone else aside from Matthews, Tavares, Marner, and Nylander. Not even Ilya Mikhaev? I like Mikhaev. I love Mikhaev. Um, I'm, you know, couldn't be happier to see him back and healthy and no long-term nerve damage from that slit wrist that he had. So that's, that's pretty awesome. And, uh, encouraging obviously, but yeah, I just think ice time is at such a premium. Mikhaev's not even going to sniff, uh, the first, I mean, obviously the first power, but he might not even play at all in the power play, let alone the first unit. So, uh, yeah, I mean, when you're looking at a team that has to win a best of five, just to get to the next round, as much as I like the Leafs, um, which you know I do like them a lot uh it's it's hard to justify taking that guy like Mikhaev who isn't going to sniff the power play in a fantasy playoff pool I really don't think you can take anyone or justify taking any forwards in the in the outside of the least top four um when you're playing these kind of shallow pools yeah and uh just to go back to Robertson for one second uh so he skates on the third line the next practice they make one change and it's uh Freddie Gauthier for Pierre Engvall only change mm-hmm. they made to their lines uh, after Right, which game. was – right. And it was the four guys that were rotating on the – Yeah, yeah. Not to cut you off, but that that's that that was the competition, right, is the fourth line center slash winger spot with whether it's going to be Angle, Goche, maybe Spezza coming in and out of the lineup uh, in that spot. I imagine Spezza is going to play. I mean, obviously, he's always uh, – ideally, I think the Leafs have always looked at that he's in their ideal 18-player lineup, but it, it was a matter of giving him adequate rest throughout the season. Uh, given his age. So it'd be interesting to see with the condensed schedule in these playoffs and playoffs are always kind of condensed, but uh, it's going to be more games than usual. So it's going to be interesting to see if Spezza gets a full go or if um, he's kind of just rotated out for rest reasons, like you would see in the regular season. But yeah, I think the he's real, 100%. he's ready to go. Yeah. <laughs> I think the real um, competition and really the only spot that's up for grabs is that fourth line center spot between Gochi and Engvall uh, and maybe Clifford coming in and out as well. But I, I think they like Clifford a lot for the playoff experience, whatever, say what you will about that. But I do think they value that uh, a little bit anyway on this roster. So I would imagine it's Gochi in there instead of Engvall just because he's a better penalty killer, but we'll see. For sure. And you got to have a guy like Clifford there to throw the body around a little bit, but sure. uh, <laughs> I, I hope you guys enjoyed uh, the second post COVID uh, I mean, it's not really post-COVID, but post-COVID NHL podcast. I don't know if um, there's going to be such a thing. <laughs> it might not ever come around, eh? Uh, but, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed it. We're going to send it That's over to the Blue Yeah, not great. Not great after such a fire episode. Um, <laughs> the plan for the podcast moving forward is basically we're going to wait out the qualifying round most likely. Uh, if we have time or maybe we're going to get together and watch some games together, 
if possible. Maybe we'll, you know, give a quick episode next week just to kind of break down what we've seen so far. Uh, but most likely the next time you'll hear from us is uh, after the qualifying round, we'll then break down kind of what the actual playoffs look like, do the same thing all over again, uh, get back into some, you know, bigger betting talks. It's really hard to bet on some of these teams right now without having seen them play in four months. Uh, but mm-hmm. If you play DraftKings, if you play FanDuel, any of those daily fantasy games, be sure to continue to check over uh, at dailyfaceoff.com. I will be confirming goalies every single day, as usual. Uh, Player news, injury updates, line combinations. uh, And then we're also going to be doing all sorts of uh, daily fantasy content because it's pretty much the only thing we can do right now. So I'm going to be writing articles every single day about who you should pick, different matchups, all those fun things. So if you are a guy that likes to dabble and uh, put his money on the line, uh, head over to dailyfaceoff.com during these playoffs, uh, especially. It's going to be fun these next 10 days. So and we all got a little bit extra money to spend right now. Let's, yeah. Let's yeah. The go- yeah. The government has given us a little bit of funds <laughs> to, uh, to put on some, <laughs> some, some gambling websites. So uh, again, hope you guys enjoyed this on Brock Segan. Thank you again, Dylan DeBerthew, and we'll see you guys back here. Most likely in 10 days. I uh, enjoy the playoffs. Baby, be my fire. Baby, be my flame. Softly burning embers through December into June calls your name Baby be my conjurer And I hold you dear Baby be the visions in the night And wait till morning light for you to disappear Baby be my Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. 
You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.